Welcome to the Imperfect Game Podcast. I'm Sean Melia. Joined today to talk about Sheffield United. Both, welcome back. Hey, what's up? Yeah, we got, uh, we're on to our, is this our fourth team? It's our yeah. fourth, fourth uh, past and present little research that we've been doing. Um, if you have not listened to any of the other ones, we have done Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, and today we are doing Sheffield United, trying to stay away from the top six. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing a good job of it. Although some of the teams we've talked about have uh, have have crept into the top six as we've been recording these, but yeah, actually, um, Sheffield was at one point fifth place. So um, I think that was last month they were in fifth place. So that they were kind of uh, unofficially and officially top six. Yeah, yeah, they've had a good they've had a good run the last few years that we will get to. Um, so let's just jump in. Let's talk about Sheffield United for sure. Awesome. All right, so. <clears throat> Sheffield is a is a is a place that, like most of these cities other than London that we've talked about, I didn't know a lot about. So I wanted to kind of look at the city a little bit and figure out where it is because I couldn't have told you where it is, uh, how big it is, and some of the history behind it, which um, which is interesting and tied into the into the name, the the nickname of the of the club, um, and also just a city that is very steeped in sports history. Um, that That's kind of just another thing I noticed. Cricket clubs way back in the 1850s. Um, the stadium that Sheffield United plays in is, uh, has a, has a ton of history. Um, it's a, so Sheffield is, is up in Yorkshire, which is also in the Midlands, uh, which is the same kind of area where Leeds is. It's near the, uh, the Pennine Mountains, um, which is a mountain range that kind of is like the spine of of England, and just have like a lot of parks, um, a lot of kind of open open land up there, and also around the city. So it just kind of lends itself to sports and sporting. Uh, and they, when they were up there in the mid eighteen hundreds, uh, that's what they liked to, to do to uh, let loose and relax because. It is a very industrial city. Um, it was built uh, as kind of a, a as an industrial revolution boomtown. And as I was reading through it, it reminded me a lot of Pittsburgh. It actually has the nickname Steel, the Steel City. Yeah. Um, and it was renowned for its Sheffield plate, which was the process of using a thin sheet of silver and putting it onto uh, you know different versions of different shapes of copper, and so it earned the nickname the Steel City. Um, and that was that was way back in the 1800s. 1864, the city was flooded when a reservoir broke. At 270 people were killed. Um, the rebuild of the city was was pretty ugly, I guess. Just the way they the way they built rebuilt the the buildings and where people needed to live, they had to do it quickly. Um, and then paired with industrial pollution, George Orwell wrote Sheffield, quote, Sheffield, I suppose, could justly be called the ugliest town in the old world. <laughs> so, like Orwell, George Orwell? Uh, yes, George Orwell wrote wow. that in, in 1934 <laughs> about Sheffield. Um, Very poetic. Yeah. Uh, so not, you know, it just just kind of one of those kind of grungy industrial cities 
It played a major role in World War II, um, naturally because it was developing and making steel. And so they used a lot of the steel for weapons and ammo, which made it a target of German air raids. And there is a specific two-night two stretch in December of 1940 uh, called the Sheffield Raid, and 660 people were killed and uh, many buildings were destroyed as well. So a, a city who has had a run of, of tough luck and um, just it just reminds me of, of Pittsburgh and kind of our rust belt uh, in the United States. Uh, it's been revitalized a little bit. It's growing quickly. Some of its neighborhoods, people compare with the, the wealth um, of London neighborhoods. So there's, there's money in there now. Um, access to parks and natural landscapes um, at the foothills of the, of the Pennines. Um, make it, a, make it a, a city people want to live in these days. And Sheffield is also home to the oldest existing football club in England, and that is Sheffield Football Club. Uh, and that was founded in 1857, and it is still still going strong. So wow. Sheffield has three three clubs that are are uh, steeped in history with Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, and Sheffield Football Club. So that's just a little bit about the city um, as a whole, just to p- put people in a place. We're way up in the Midlands. Um, and then there is Bramall Lane, which is the name of the stadium also the name of the street that runs past the stadium. And the stadium is old as hell. It is it was ah. built in 1855. It's pretty old. It is the oldest major stadium in the world that still hosts professional association football matches. Uh, it holds 32,000 people right now. That's like uh, a size. Pardon? It's like a, just a great size. Like, yeah. It's intimate. It's, uh, I don't know, it's romantic almost yeah it's it's i mean it's that's just about fenway and people love fenway for that intimate feel versus the sixty thousand stadium seat stadium um like gillette would 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 be you know sixty thousand, double the size so yeah thirty two thousand is is perfect um the stadium is on bramall lane it's named after the bramall family who owned quote the old white house on the street way back in the day um it was originally used as a cricket stadium, and Sheffield Wednesday also played there, and so did Sheffield Football Club, and it has been home to Sheffield United since 1889. So it kind of bounced around uh, ownership, and then in 1889, um, went to Sheffield United. It is the one of the only. It is one of two stadiums in the entire country that has hosted an England international soccer match, the FA cup final and an international cricket test. And there's a stadium called the oval, um, in London that I had never heard of until I did this started poking around. So it's just one of two stadiums. So Molyneux, we thought Molyneux was old and historic. Um, but this is one of those stadiums that it was dual, dual usage and, it's it's got to be 30, 30 years older than Molyneux uh, in Wolverhampton. <laughs> thirty years older, <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 almost seventy years older than Fenway Park. Yeah, it's, that's that's uh, it's it's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, it was also host to the final of the world's first ever football tournament, 
which is called the Uden Cup, which happened in 1867. It predated the FA Cup by four years. Um, and it also hosted the world's first floodlit soccer match in 1878. Hmm. Um, and I know Molyneux had some had some uh, floodlights. And if I remember correctly, West Ham, Upton Park had they had like strung up bulbs for night games because they could only play games at night, but didn't have floodlights. They just had strings of of probably tungsten bulbs. Um, the first football match ever played in Bramall Lane was a fundraiser between Sheffield Football Club and Hallam Football Football Club. And it was also home to Sheffield Wednesday for the nineteen for the eighteen eighty to the to eighteen eighty seven seasons. Um, so Sheffield Wednesday called it home. Um, and then when Sheffield Wednesday moved out, they needed a, a permanent tenant for the stadium, and that's that's part of how um, Sheffield United was formed. So I learned another thing about stadiums today. You've heard the you've heard the term the cop before. Yes. Okay. So when you when you hear that phrase, what what where do you immediately go? Uh, Van Dyke. <laughs> you go- <laughs> Van Dyke just banging a, a seventy yard ball across the field. That's where my mind goes. Yeah. So you go to Liverpool. Yeah. And Anfield. Yeah. Um. So do you know what the cop refers to? No. Okay. So the cop is a is a term for any number of single tier terraces and stands at sports stadiums. So it's a, it's a, actually a general term um, that is used mainly in the United Kingdom. Uh, so the cop as at Anfield has just kind of gained notoriety, but a lot of stadiums have an area that's called the cop and it's just a single terrace area of a stadium meeting. As I understand it, there would not be kind of one section and then a balcony above it. It would just be one kind of steep section Ah, okay. Um, so that's what a cop is. And it's called a cop because it resembles a hill near Ladysmith, South Africa, that was the scene of the Battle of Spy on Cop in January of 1800 during the Second Boer War. Thank you, Wikipedia, for dropping that. So it wow. is, It is. yeah, That's. <laughs> it's named after a hill in South Africa is where the term came from. And uh, it just kind of got picked up by people building stadiums in the 1900s and Anfields is the most famous, I would say. Yeah. Um, for sure. So that's what the cop that's now. You, now we both learned what the cop is. Um, hill in South Africa, a hill right. in South Africa <laughs> and any terrace that is just a single, single tier in a stadium, typically in England. Um, the fans in Sheffield um, are, I you know I didn't get a lot of of hooliganism or stories about them as far as just kind of negative nasty stuff. However, they do have a really great song that I listen to a, a bunch. I'm a United I'm a Manchester United fan, and I watched uh, I watched Sheffield United and Man United play recently, and I heard them singing a tune or a song to the tune of Annie's song by. Uh, John Denver and I thought, oh, that's that's kind of cool. I didn't really do much else uh, about it. And then, as I was looking into Sheffield United this week, uh, I came back across the song and I want to play it for you. I'm going to use my phone. I have no idea how good this is going to sound. And then okay. I'm going to give you the lyrics 
uh, because they're actually pretty funny and they give uh, a pretty great sense of Sheffield and I think the fans and their their um, I don't know how how they view themselves and their city. It's it's outstanding. All right, so here we go. Hopefully this works. So I hope you could hear that through the through the mic. So here are the here are the lyrics to that song. You fill up my senses like a gallon of magnet, which is a a local beer. Like a packet of woodbines, which is a cigarette, a packet of cigarettes, like a pinch of good snuff, as though chewing tobacco, like a night out in Sheffield, like a greasy chip buddy. I'll get back. To, I'll get back to that one. Like Sheffield United, come fill me again. Um, so I, you know, I had to kind of look up all these different things. A greasy chip butty, spelled B-U-T-T-Y, is a sandwich that they sell um, at like they call them chippers over there, and right. they, you know, they sell French fries and hamburgers and kind of all the greasy stuff. But I guess there's also a sandwich that's very popular in Sheffield and Yorkshire that is just buttered toasted bread um brown sauce or some sort of like like gross mayo white sauce um and french fries which they call chips is just the sandwich so so sorry sorry it's a it's a french fry it's a french fry sandwich (laughs) yes (laughs) like the, the, the meat of the sandwich is a french fry and then it's just buttered and and you know like english sauced uh and toasted and they you know it's like just definitely a late night snack <laughs> sounds like poutine's ugly sister <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> um so that's their that is their song and it is actually called uh greasy chip buddy is the name of the song um so I just it kind of gives a a good sense of the fans. They a little bit of tongue in cheek, like they know Sheffield's kind of a tough place. Um, we've got beer, cigarettes, um, Poutine's ugly sister, snuff. Uh, so I just I thought that song was great, and I it actually sent me down into this rabbit hole of of um, different different songs and found stuff on YouTube of you know people with their top ten songs um, in in soccer and chance it was it was it was pretty great yeah that's nice yeah it was fun um i it's it's one of those things i wish i wish it was more prevalent in in our sports i would right. love to be sitting like especially we play so many sports that are inside like a basketball game with 16,000 people singing a song about Kemble Walker right um I, I don't know it would just be there's there's definitely it would be awesome um okay so let's talk about the club uh, Sheffield United's rivals are naturally she- Sheffield Wednesday, and their derby is called the Steel City Derby. Um, also, Barnsley, Rotherdam, and Doncaster Rovers and Leeds, who are all just clubs kind of that uh, that are in Yorkshire. West Ham has a special place in hell if you're a Sheffield United fan, and I will get to that later. Um, just a really interesting story from 
about 15 years ago now. And Nottingham Forest. And this is another interesting rivalry that that happened uh, because there was a miners' strike in the 1980s. And workers in the pits of the Nottinghamshire mines did not join the strike while miners from Yorkshire did. So it created this ah. this this uh, yeah. a little bit of disagreement between Nottingham Forest and their fans and um, the Yorkshire team club's fans. And that was a West Ham thing we found, too, while, while we were looking at West Ham, that some of their rivalries were based in in union strikes and and different unions not joining strikes. So anyways, those are kind of the teams that uh, have a little bit of extra uh, bounce in when they play. Um, so Sheffield United was founded in 1889. It was an offshoot of the Sheffield United Cricket Club. Sheffield United is also the first football club to use the term United in their name. Hmm. Um, so they truly are. They're, they're, they're the original, the OG United. Uh, oh. Sheffield United was nicknamed... The Cutlers <laughs> from 1889 to 1912, a, a pretty strange name, uh, but it was because Sheffield was a very popular place for making cutlery. So the steel, the steel part of their city, um, ha- gave gave a lot of cutlery to the rest of the country. So they were called the Cutlers. Sheffield Wednesday had beaten them to the nickname the Blades. Um, and then Sheffield Wednesday changed their name to the Owls when they moved into Owlerton Stadium. And Sheffield United looked around and said, let's steal the Blades. That's way more badass than the Cutlers. And oh, yeah. so since 1912, Sheffield United has been the Blades. If you look closely at their at their um, crest, it's got two huge... Almost like they're not quite machetes, but these two huge knives crossed um, across. It's a pretty cool crest that they have. Um, And the club was basically formed because Bramall Lane needed a tenant. Um, Sheffield Wednesday had moved out and they had this huge stadium. It was at that point, you know, 35 years old and they needed somebody. So it was it was actually a Sheffield Wednesday man who helped get Sheffield United off the ground. And Sheffield United's glory days were pretty much the first three decades of their existence. Um, They have not won a trophy since 1925. Um, So as a comparison, that's a little bit like what the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox uh, had put up with, not having won anything since 1908 and 1918, um, respectively, for those two teams. So this is a club that has not had a lot of a lot of winning and a lot of trophies. Um, in those first three decades, they won the first division in 1897-98 season, which is amazing that that was actually a thing. And they were runners-up uh, two other years before 1900 in 19 in 1897 and in ni- and in 1900 they were they were the runners-up as first division. They won the football league north in 1945-46. Um, they are champions of the second division one time. They are champions of the third division uh, one time, which is now called League One, and the second division is uh, called the championship. And they also were winners of League Two, which is which is also known as the fourth division. I think they're one of four teams to have won every in each league in England. 
Um, obviously, the Premier League is not what they won, but they were first division winners a hundred and hundred and twenty years ago, <laughs> um, and they count that. And they also won the FA Cup in. In 1899, 1902, 1915, and finally in 1925. Uh, so they won the FA Cup four times in uh, in 25 years. And that was it. That was it. They've also just bounced around. Um, so they gave a breakdown on Wikipedia, which I appreciated. They spent 60 of their seasons in the highest league, whether it was the Premier League or the... Uh, or the first division, uh, 42 in the second level, 11 in the third, and one season in the fourth division. Um, so that's kind of like, that's just really how they started, and then their success, and then nothing exciting happened until 1975, when they really kind of hit hit this point of up and down. Um, Money kind of comes into play a little bit more once you hit the 70s, I think, just across across soccer in England. Um, and so they had they had some they had some ups and downs. So they were relegated to the second division in 1975. And then three years later, they were found themselves in the third division. And in 1981, they were in the fourth division and managed to win promotion. So in six Seasons they went down to the fourth from from uh, the first division to the fourth division. So they they plummeted like a stone, um, and they and managed to win promotion that first year in the fourth division. In 1984, they worked their way back up and were in the second division, and then went back to the third division in 1988. And finally, in 1990, they were promoted to the first division. Um, so they kind of they made, got they got some promotions and. Because of that promotion, they stuck around for four years and were actually founding members of the Premier League, which I think is kind of a nice thing considering how long that club's been around um, and that 11 years prior they were in the fourth division. So that's pretty impressive. They went from the fourth division in 1981 to founders of the Premier League in 1992. Um, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, 94, they were relegated. Um and they hovered in the championship division. They had financial issues in 1999. They couldn't really improve their squad. Um, Neil Warnock, who I think most recently was coaching, was he managing Cardiff last year? Yeah, yeah. Right? He is old. Um, so he kept the club afloat, and he got them their most successful season um, in 2003. They made two semifinal appearances in the domestic cups, so that's the League Cup and the FA Cup. But they lost to Wolves in the playoff to get into the into the Premier League. So they just they floated around. I, I don't know how far back your time went, but then they were back in the Premier League in 06, and this is when the Carlos Tevez story happened. Do you? We talked a little bit about this. We did when we when we researched West Ham, and this is the this has kind of been the fun part about some of these things is <laughs> is. Re- I, I just the I have a little bit more context to some of these stories, and I it makes me stop and think. Oh, oh I want to. This is a thing I want to learn about. So, do you know? Do you do you have any sense of what happened? Yeah. So the Carlos Tevez Mascherano deal, like how it went down, was that like this major deal was announced, and everyone knew it was shady, but we couldn't really figure out why it was shady. It just didn't feel right, and. So there were no there were no financials disclosed, right? 
Um, and it was a th- it was a third party sale, which essentially meant that they were not owned by a club who sold them. They were owned by a third party who was a um, who was now now he's actually a very well known agent in in world soccer. What is his name? Kaya Jor. Jorbachian, I think is how you might pronounce his last name. Um, and so he's like a super agent now. And he brought Tevez and Mascherano, who were both 22 from Argentina. They were Corinthians. Um, and so a third-party sale. No, There was no financials that were made, made, <laughs> made public. I think because it was third-party, they didn't have to. Right. Um, so these two, these two guys show up in 2007 – to West Ham and it did not, it was not a roaring success to say the least. And now we're kind of talking about West Ham, but this mattered greatly to Sheffield United um, during the season. And Mascherano didn't really play. He had some pretty nasty things to say about West Ham. Once he left, he was, he pretty much just said it was, it was my way into Europe from Brazil. And I don't really have any feelings for West Ham. Tevez, however, Really kind of warmed up to the whole place. Um, if you if you go back and listen to the West Ham pod, or even just you and I can think about it right now, it is a place that just, it is like Carlos Tevez territory. Right. It's just like I- this tough, hard-ass uh, t- uh, part of town, team, fans, and that's how Tevez played. That's how he carried himself. And so I think he just had this place in his heart for this cl- for this club. Yeah. Needless to say, Tevez was the sole reason at the end of the year why West Ham was not relegated and Sheffield United was relegated. Because Tevez scored three goals uh, in the in the kind of home stretch, all winning goals. He beat Man United on the last game of the season. I think they beat them three to two, and he scored the game winner. And Sheffield United lost, I think, to Wigan in like some just torrential downpour. That was the death knell for Sheffield United. Sheffield United filed a complaint and went to court and sued. And uh, they sued for $22 million, which is pretty much like, hey, being relegated, this is how much money it costs us in jersey sales and possibly in ticket sales for certain games. And we want this back. And West Ham was found guilty. So they paid the money? And they had to pay in installments. They paid it back over the course of like five years. Um, so they just, I think they they finished paying it off in like 2013. I could not imagine anything like this happening in an American sport. No. Um, I mean, it would, it would have been like the Patriots paying the Colts after Deflategate, not the NFL, because right. they didn't go to the Super Bowl. Um. Anyways, so that was a fascinating little bit of history about the club and those two clubs. And it was a very big deal this year when they had to play. I think they played at the end of October. It was not on my radar at all, but I guess as soon as Sheffield United was promoted, that was the game everyone was looking forward to seeing happening because they had not played each other since that 2007 season when they were relegated. Um, which is pretty crazy. So 2006, 2007 season. Um, uh, so a couple other things just before we get all the way up to present day. Um, 
Sheffield United bought a team in China called the uh, Chengdu Wenyu in 2006. They rebranded them the Cheng the Chengdu Blades, but that club was dissolved in 2015. Um, the five years following their promotion to English Premier League in that 2006 year, they dropped to the first division, which is the third division in English football now. So they were relegated from the Premier League and then also relegated from the championship. Um, and they were in the in the third division for the first time since 1989. Uh, it was a pretty fast fall and a bitter one given the fact that you could argue Carlos Tevez was the reason they ended up getting relegated twice. Um, not great. So they were floundering. Uh, they suffered a close call in the first division playoff and were unable to crawl back to the championship. But in 2013, foreign money came, Both. Yes. Foreign money always helps. <laughs> and they were bought by a Saudi Arabian prince. Um, and he bought the club for a 50% stake and he paid one pound for it. And he what? made, he, yes. Yep. Wow. And he, I, it, it seems to me like the deal was I will buy it for a pound and then all the money that I would have bought it for, I will pour into getting us back into the Premier League. Um, because that was the promise, a quick return to the top division. Um, this actually just made the club better without any signings. And in 2013 and 14, they were dubbed, uh, or 14 and 15, they were dubbed giant killers um, as a first division team, which is the third lowest division in English soccer. They made the FA Cup semifinals. And then they reached the 2015 quarterfinals of the FA Cup and the semifinals of the League Cup. So they were beating some pretty, pretty uh, big teams in 14 and 15 as a first division team. Finally, in 2017, they returned to the championship, um, led by lifelong Blades fan and former player Chris Wilder, um, which uh, is just after the Bielsa discussion last week with Leeds is uh, is just like a just a completely different story. But there are so many things that are the same. It's it's fascinating. Um, they finished tenth that first year in the championship, and then last year they were promoted to the Premier League um, as the second place finisher. And if you watch Take Us Home, Sheffield United has uh, a pretty big play uh, part to play in the Leeds United story from last year. That is the Take Us Home journey on Amazon. Um, so that's kind of that's Sheffield United in as much of a nutshell as I can as I can do. You uh, you now know about the cop. You now know I'm going to go and when we're finished with this, I'm going to make a, a greasy chip buddy for uh, <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the cop would be a great Jeopardy question. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, like it actually would be. Um, Good trivia question for just anyone who, especially Liverpool fans. Yeah. Just ask those. And I think like double Jeopardy would be to eat a chippy, a chippy buddy Mm -hmm. and see if you survive that. Yeah. That's a physical challenge, like a double dare. Right. (laughs) Uh, um nice well okay so uh we take over pretty seamlessly um i kind of as as has been the case for the past few uh teams we've done um our overlap comes kind of uh at this intersection of foreign money and <laughs> history. yep um 
<laughs> and so, you know, I, I kind of just out of curiosity just picked out um, this this trend of, of foreign money coming in. And and I I looked it up. We're currently at a staggering 57 percent of clubs in the top in the English top flights or English top divisions that are foreign owned. When you say divisions, are you talking about the top two divisions? So I'm talking to, I'd say, I think my numbers include the top three. So it's the Prem, the, the uh, Championship, and League One. Holy cow, 56%? Around 57%, Wow, yes. that's amazing. Yeah. Which, which I, means it's heavier in the, if you looked at probably the top half of just the Championship and the Premier League, you'd imagine that's going to be even higher percentage. Right, right. Um, and I, I don't really know why England or the UK itself is so attractive uh, for this kind of foreign, you know, foreign injection, but it is. Um, and so we've seen and, and we can look at all kinds of different clubs across this 57 percent uh, number and kind of ask the same question is how do you how do you approach the Herculean task of getting back to those golden days or getting back to those those days of, of trophies and, and fans singing at the top of their lungs. Um, and, you know, you would think foreign money means, all right, we're bringing in some kind of foreign coach, um, n- you know, exotic, new, fast, pacey wingers and, and, and goal scorers uh, from the lands of Brazil or Argentina or, you know, um, kind of these, these uh, countries that, that almost stand for attacking soccer. Uh, attacking football um and so i was quite ready to look at their transfer flow and see like okay cool they're gonna bring in you know x player from portugal x player from from italy or or spain and then you know kind of just track their their forward progress from there um and i was just met with this chippy buddy sandwich like There's no real rush to, to go and buy any foreign players despite having this money. And in fact, there was very minimal investment in transfers um, at the takeover. This The takeover came when Sheffield were in the third division, effectively, in, in the league. Or sorry, in the English uh, divisions. And it was pretty much like, look, we'll put the money in, but work with what you got. Um, and so they brought in a man named Chris Wilder, who, I mean, if I was was fanboying l- last week with uh, with Bielsa and Leeds, I mean, Chris Wilder is blades through and through. Uh, after doing my reading, after doing my research, like this man might actually have a blade somewhere in his body. <laughs> he is he's straight up um, this this club's history. He was. A fan, a ball boy, a player, a captain, and now manager. Um, DNA does not do him justice as to like being the right man for the job at Sheffield. Um, and true to his club, true to his his upbringing, he he said we're gonna, we're gonna do this the right way. We're gonna do this the Sheffield way, and and kind of stay stay with our. UK or British core of players and and go right there and and so he brought in all these all these players on free transfers nobody came in on a big money deal nobody came in kind of with the glitz and glam of you know of that of that kind of foreign flair um it was we're gonna do 
our club justice. We're going to do our city justice and we're going to do ourselves justice by being who we are. And so names like Billy Sharp, who has a similar kind of playing biography as Chris Wilder of being a fan, uh, growing up with the club and then and then kind of playing for this for this his, his boyhood club uh, was brought in. Billy Sharp, Phil Jaglielka, who is a name that you might remember from Everton, um, but started out in Sheffield. So he came back to Sheffield. Um, and and then he also looked at players that were kind of outcasts or, or rejects from the league, from, from the Premier League, and gave them a shot too. So he brought in kind of academy rejects and, and, and loan players that were all almost kind of cast aside, uh, saying you weren't good enough or you're not good enough for our, for our team, and took them all in and kind of made this us-against-the-world mentality of saying no one believes in us, no one thinks we can do it, but we're going to prove them wrong. Um, and so when you have this structure, when you have this kind of, uh, club identity, I, I think of, or I, I'm reminded of at least of the quote, the sum is greater than, sorry, the whole is greater than some of its parts kind of thing. Um, these individuals are all just average, if not below average players individually, um, and can't really do much. They, they never really had kind of this uh, glitz and glam um, career. But then together, underneath Chris Wilder, with this kind of team uh, camaraderie, they, they became giant killers. They, they, they got back up to the Premier League in, in three years. Um, and I, I don't know what that recipe or what that, um, I don't know, uh, process looks like. How do you take a team up to back to the prem in, in three years after after years and years of being in you know uh, the, uh, the third tier i mean from 2007 up to you're looking at 19 so you're looking at 12 years of kind of just you know i don't know uh underachieving and, and kind of falling away in, into obscurity and then next thing you know three years chris wilder and he's back up there yeah uh, and so, Sean, I have a question for you. Yeah. Sheffield, after all your research, after all of your kind of reading, and without looking at the, the, the league table or, or without looking at kind of like Sheffield highlights, what kind of brand of ball do you think they play? So I watched them play Manchester United. That's my only, my only game. They were, I mean, they made United look, they made Manchester United look slow in the first half they pressed a little bit um they they were not like they played they played pretty good soccer right they they didn't strike me as they they weren't like a a team that made it up through the championship just lumping the ball forward um they don't have any sort of real striker david mcgoltrick's is the name I recognized because he is an Irish forward, but they like they 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 don't they don't strike they're not like a a, a tough mutter group of guys who you don't want to run through the midfield against because they're going to put spikes in your knee. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah, I, I mean exactly that. Like when I think of mid-table club wearing red and white stripes, I'm thinking of like Ryan Shawcross coming through your chest. And- <laughs> And laying you out, and then, and then passing the ball maybe three yards, 
<laughs> before, before kicking it long 80 yards the other way. Um, and so you look at them and you're like, wait, no, this doesn't work out. How, how does a club like Sheffield get up as high as fifth place? And this was at um, the point on the season where it was, I think it was November 19th, according to my notes. They were as high as fifth place in the league, in the Prem, uh, playing a brand of ball that should actually get a lot more attention than it has been. Um, these guys are playing attractive, innovative, and very, very risky uh, styles of, of play. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the goals that they scored against United were all very good goals on counterattacks. Now that I'm like right. remembering that game. Um, one more question for you. When you think of the, the, the soccer terminology, soccer term overlap, who, who do you think of or who, who do you imagine kind of making this, this, uh, this run? And overlap for our listeners is when a player runs from kind of behind uh, the player on the ball and making an overlapping run to get out open for uh, a possible pass or a, maybe even a decoy run. Yeah, typically on a wing. On a wing. I think of Roberto Carlos... Nice. Uh, Philip Lom a little bit. Okay. I think of wing backs, you know. Um, Cafu. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, those say like Jordi Alba, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the guys I think of. I just, I always think of wing backs making those runs. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Sheffield actually is a club that has overlapping center backs. Okay. <laughs> these guys, these guys, Chris Wilder has these guys playing a style of brand or a brand of ball where they're actually um, clearing out space for their center back, Jack O'Connell, to come bombing up forward on the left flank and then whipping a ball into play. This is something that is absolutely unheard of and absolutely uh, groundbreaking when you, look at, when you look at the identity of a mid-table club. Usually these guys are sitting back in kind of compact and really low, um, you know, low block near their goal and looking to hit you on the counter. But these guys actually get out there and and attack. They, they, they go at you um, looking at some some stats, looking at some some sources. Uh, again, always ready to, to cite my sources. Stats bomb is a great stat website um, looking at different teams and, and kind of their their patterns of play. Um they have Sheffield United at the first kind of or at the top of the the list when it when it comes to creating chances or, or creating uh, goal opportunities. So they they blow out everybody um, everybody in their in their conference in their league. Uh, their closest rivals is Blackburn Rovers, and they're and they're behind by I'd say point five goals so half a goal in terms of expected goals um and then you look at uh how they score them they score them by by getting all these players to kind of come in and and play kind of this i mean barcelona kind of style style brand of ball they're they're moving the ball they're 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 intentional with it and they're fun to watch um i i don't think i've ever said that about a mid-table club I don't think I've ever said that about uh, an English core club, um, but these guys are are kind of breaking all stereotypes and breaking all down uh, these these kind of boundaries of what you think of 
a club is when when you when you say they're kind of hard nosed, they're from Yorkshire, they're from the, the Midlands, uh, um, and you know they they don't buy foreign talent. They would you say they're like the the British version of Wolverhampton? I would say they're the British version of Barcelona. <laughs> I mean, you hear like you hear the the term Mexican club, which is a, a, a Catalan saying of more than a club. I mean, Sheffield is more than a club. You look at these guys; they got they have the oldest stadium, one of the oldest teams. Their their manager was a former ball boy for them and captain. Um, I mean, is isn't that not Pep Guardiola? Is <laughs> like this team is more than a club, um, and and Sheffield are are doing way more than they're, than they're kind of being, you know, given credit for. Um, they're not resigning to, to kind of playing cheap, uh, a cheap brand of ball, kind of staying safe, staying, you know, staying conservative. They're, they're saying we're, we're going to go after it and we're going to prove them wrong. Um, so, you know, they're doing the work also on the other end of the ball too. They're also doing their defensive duties as well, uh, allowing the least amount of shots um, when you compare them in, in the last season in the championship uh, to any other team in that league. Uh, they were below one goal per game in terms of shots conceded. So uh, by the way they played, by the way they tackled, and, and the way they defended, they were expected to give up less than a goal a game. Um so this team is is the real deal. Like they they are a Premier League team, and at the start of the year they were only given credit to maybe fight for relegation. But now they're they're I mean, you know, at this recording right now they're they're above Arsenal in in the league, which isn't much to say. But still, um, Sheffield is 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 somebody or a team that we should for sure continue to follow as as the season plays out. They, I mean, I'm looking at their their roster right now they have one player from france uh Mousset. Mousset. uh they have a couple irish guys they have a german uh mohammed besik who's right. a defender they have a what they have Kier, uh kieran freeman who's welsh they have a dutch goalie and everyone else is english or scottish Right. I mean, everyone is from that island outside of a couple Irish guys, a German, a French guy and a Dutch guy. <laughs> yeah, that is that is amazing. And there's, is, and there's not much youth in the team either. I mean, no. they don't have any guys who are like 20. They got some 23 year olds. Um, but you mentioned Billy Sharp. He's 33. <laughs> McGoldrick, who was the player of the like the club's player of the year last year is 32. Um, like they just have, yeah, it is an amazing. So I like the, so the, I guess the next step for them is they're going to start to lose those aged, those aged veterans. Right. So is that, do you think when they start putting their money uh, into the club? And to so, players, like how do they how do they maintain this over the next two or three years? Their current age uh, average uh, team average is twenty eight years old, twenty eight point three years old. Um, thank you to Transfer Market as as my as my source, um, and that is that is a very old age um, for for a team average. Um, and and you're right, you're gonna, you're going to lose Billy Sharp. 
um, who is the almost self-proclaimed fat kid from Sheffield. He, I think he, he takes pride in that, in that moniker and in, in that nickname. Um, but you're going to lose players like, you know, these veterans and, and you look at, you know, how do we stay in the league? How do we stay relevant? Um, I think at that point, uh, you might see a transfer if they manage to stay in the Prem. Uh, but you also might see a, a continuing trend of, of bringing in loan players, bringing in these, these um, club, you know, club outcasts or club rejects. Um, does the name Ravel Morrison bring a bell? No. Ravel Morrison, um, I actually believe, came up through the United ranks uh, a while ago and was this, like, hot young prospect that was going to take over the the game. He's going he's to take over the world um, as this English uh, youth product. And he kind of represented this new age of English footballers where he had some flair, had some personality, had a different way of playing that other than just kind of like, all right, lob it forward, swing it into the box, and then head it. Um, he was he was a little bit more pizzazz than than that identity. Um, and that, in fact, if you want to look up, this is kind of nerd moment for for the day. If you want to look up Ravel Morrison training goal, it might come up on YouTube as this absurd spinning pirouette back heel flick off of a cross to kind of show you his skill that that he has. Um, but he was supposed to be this guy, this, this next, next big thing, um, but didn't pan out and kind of bounced around different clubs for, for different reasons, but was eventually picked up by Sheffield uh, Sheffield United and pretty much just said, Hey, look, you know, you're like us. You're one of us. People didn't believe in you. Here's your second chance. Here's your next, you know, bite at the apple. Um, come join us and together we'll, we'll go forward. And I think it's the kind of that mantra that's going to attract more and more players kind of on the cheap. Um, because up to this point, we've seen that these, these owners, you know, they're willing to invest, but kind of invest very, very cautiously and, and kind of just temper their, um, their moves as, as they go forward. Uh, I, I can't see them, you know, bringing in that much money. Uh, unless they they crack into you know the top six and and get that kind of um, windfall from qualifying for Europe, but other than that, it's got to be loan deals. It's got to be um, you know poaching players off off of uh, different academies. Yeah, um, the uh, Ollie Ollie McBur- McBurney. Yeah, Ollie McBurney is one of their young players. He's twenty three. Um, he's a Scottish kid. He was bought from Swansea for twenty-one million. Looks like it's a dollar sign on here, and that's the that was the record. That's the record transfer fee for for Sheffield United. Um, so just to give you a sense of like where and how much money they're right. they're willing to spend, like that's their that's their record fee. So they're not. They're not spending that much money again on anybody, I would imagine, no, in no, the next no. in the next couple of years. So they'll like that's that's the I think that's the challenge for some of these clubs that they get up, um, they manage to maybe stay up for a year and then they look around and those guys who were in their early thirties who helped them get to where they are get old. Right. And then suddenly they're they're sitting in in the relegation zone um i don't know what's going on with watford right now but like there's a team that kind of came up 
had a good had a good run and now suddenly they're 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 in shambles um or even a team like is it St- I think Stoke right now is at the bottom of the championship right you know and they were they were in the Premier League 2 years ago yeah um and they were supposed to come back up last year and just had a really bad year and now like now you're screwed yeah um so it's just like it's really a tenuous a tenuous battle to earn promotion and then figure out okay how do we how do we now try to build a team year to year to stay up and also in the long run right <laughs> like it's yeah. really a challenge it's it's a it's an art i and think you, and you got to get lucky it's it's for sure luck uh and i it's it's that question again how do you approach this task of of going back to the, to those golden years uh or going back to, to that kind of level you want to be at and i i think that question can get asked you know three years at a time and the answer is different just because of the of the demands sheffield right now for them i think if they stay in the prem this year um they'll have exceeded everyone's expectations and they they might even be ahead of the mark they might even be ahead of schedule in terms of their development as a club so They'll benefit from a little bit of that Premier League money, TV rights, and 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 you know money deals and all that. Um, but we've already seen them. I don't know. We've already seen them approach this problem differently than than, than other other clubs. So it'd be fun to see him kind of problem solve in their own style, in their own way. I would love for them to kind of continue their British core and continue their their English core of of players and 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 managers. Um, and and go with that kind of this almost this breath of fresh air i mean talk about you know the english premier league being i don't know full of teams from england uh and players from england not and and not you know um foreign foreign players from france or germany or spain um but yeah it's it's for sure luck but i think you can look at you can look at teams like Bournemouth. You can look at teams um, like Wolves that have man or Leicester even that have managed to kind of fight that, you know, fight that monster, fight that beast, and and um, figure a way to, to to compete against those big fish in the league. Yeah, it's cer- it's certainly a gravitational pull. And the and the other kind of interesting wrinkle is if if they do manage to stay up, um, will they be joined by? <laughs> by Sheffield Wednesday who I think is kind of lurking in the championship in the in the top 6. Right. Which would right. be like just a, an interesting added challenge to trying to deal with how yeah. um you know does that does that take players away? Does it make it harder to draw people to Sheffield if you've got two teams or does it make it easier? Um I, I don't know. It's just like that's an interest. I mean, there's tons of there's tons of cities that have two teams, but I, with two teams newly promoted, I don't think I can. I can't think of a, a city that's that's uh, had that. Yeah, I think that'd be great for the league. Oh, um, yeah, it would, be, it would be. It would be very interesting. We're gonna cover cover the other sister uh, in the next one, but Sheffield Wednesday coming up to the prem would be be a great Amazon documentary if you want if you want one. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think, um, they, they gotta see where, where they are. I think if, if they met, they managed middle of the table, 
their you know their player profile of who they can attract is radically different from if they barely survive relegation um uh and you know that kind of attraction uh or ability to, to lower player in you know says hey look we we placed eighth in the league uh we can push on to to crack into the top two we think we can go to europe and you know like that opens up a lot of different listening ears to to players that want to crack into the into the premier league yeah and maybe i like did you get a sense i didn't dive much into the ownership side of it do you get the sense that they are or that this uh saudi prince is interested in sticking around i i know last week when we talked about leeds um that they're they're up for sale right now because they had a they just have um they have their one owner who I think is just looking to unload the team because it's so expensive to be a single owner of a of an English club who isn't in the Premier League. Right. So did did you see is there did you see anything in your in your reading about the the club now that that shows that there would be a potential buyer who could come in and maybe want to spend that money or are they is it pretty pretty set right now? I think this dude is the, is the buyer. I think this dude Prince and I'm going to try my best at this name. Um, for fans listening, my name is Napinaboth, so I already have a hard name, so I know <laughs> that have names mispronounced. But uh, Prince Abdullah bin Musad, um, I think, is the guy right now. So he he was part of the, of the takeover back when Sheffield were at um, in the third division. Um, and in my kind of humble opinion, I think he's gonna stay around. Okay. Um, uh, from my readings, from what I've covered, he is. Uh, Pretty much 50-50 owner um, of Sheffield with a, another man named Kevin McCabe. Um, and these two are kind of, it seems like they're kind of in this tug-of-war battle between each other for full ownership of the club. Um, and I think both of them really want the club uh, for their own or at least that, that kind of majority and, and dominant share of the club. Um, so personally speaking, I, I think, you know, um, Prince Musad is is in is in for the long haul. Uh, he's, I mean, why wouldn't you be? You've cracked into the Premier League uh, in three years. You're most likely ahead of schedule, and you've got this you've got this club that hasn't spent that much money. Um, you know, so your investments and your and your money going into it are actually going to be um, kind of spent uh, how you want it to spend. Right. You he spent a pound. Right. So, so, so yeah, so I, I think, I think we're in for a really cool development. Um, I hope they stay cause I think that adds just a little bit more to that kind of, uh, storyline going forward. Um, and you know, just, I don't know, I, I kind of want this club to succeed. It's just, it's a new kind of club, um, in a league full of, uh, teams that, that spend, you know, upwards $80 million on, uh, on a center back or, you know, bringing in foreign, foreign wingers and strikers. I think it'd be cool to see a league, um, where there is a team that is British that is, that is fighting up there for top four or top two, maybe even, I mean, now I'm getting ahead of myself, but maybe even the uh, Premier League trophy. I, I even think just, just remaining in the middle of the table for a half of a decade is astounding. If you're just drawing in the second tier English players, like it's not even like they have English guys who are on the, on the national team. You know, they have, they have like that next level, like international break week for Sheffield United is everyone gets a vacation. 
everyone goes to eat a, ch- a chippy buddy. Yeah, right. Like all the English guys are going. I, I, you know, I think there's a the Irish guys are all on the national team. Um, Edna Stevens and and Egan and McGoldrick. But other than that, like I think all those guys, they are not even going to sniff um, sniff national national level status. Maybe one of them will, and then that guy will get sold. Um, and that's the other piece is like maybe some of these some of the younger guys end up getting uh, enough attention that they they can sell off a player and turn it into two other players. Right. Um, but even, you know, if they stay up and just manage to remain in the middle of the table and bother, bother the top six, win some big games, I think I, I, like this club hasn't won anything since 19, almost 100 years. Yeah. And they've been so unstable, just bouncing up and down. Like, I think if they can just manage to keep their because when Wilder leaves, I think will be interesting. Right. You know, he's not going to be there forever. And um, he's well well-renowned and, and if you read his wikipedia page like he's brought a bunch of teams up from the abyss yeah and also been on teams that have just dissolved um so he's kind of seen it all <laughs> it's pretty amazing where he is yeah. so so next week we're gonna stick around in sheffield and we're gonna talk about sheffield wednesday a team i have no i have no uh knowledge of i only know of them because I found it strange that a team had the name Wednesday in it. Yeah. Other than that, I know nothing about them. And I guess initially they were called just the Wednesday. That's even better. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's in the bottom three of, of days of the week, right? That should have been my, so I'm playing in a men's league game tonight. That should have been my, that should have been my team name, the Wednesday. The Wednesday. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It is definitely fighting relegation in terms of days of the week, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Monday, Monday, and Wednesday are are. Although Wednesday's got at least the we're we're heading towards towards right. the, the better part of the week. But like, is that your selling point as a Wednesday? Just yeah, you're like, hey, like we can crack into the top four. You know, days of the week. Um, we're almost there. You know, Monday's 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 gotten relegated. They're they're in obscurity right oh, now. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and then you've got your toss up between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of, of best days of the week. Yep. Um, but yeah, no. So I can't wait for for Sheffield Wednesday next week. Um, it's gonna be good uh, to kind of look at the other sister, look at the other half of of the city, um, and see what they've got. Uh, especially if you can call them the the original blades. Yeah, right. I'm gonna see if they uh, if they also indulge in the greasy chip buddy, and if they have a song about it. I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> but I don't really think that they'd be vegans uh, on the other side of Sheffield. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Both, and uh, we'll talk next week about Sheffield Wednesday. Sweet. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.